0: Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello there, friends and colleagues. Welcome to another episode of the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care Podcast. Today's episode will be on the topic of peer support. Now, I have an office-based addiction medicine practice, and in my practice, one of our medical assistants is in recovery and is providing peer support to our patients. Her name is Seal, and I wanted to share with all of you how peer support can play a huge role in the treatment of addiction. So I invited her to speak to us on this podcast about her work providing peer support to our patients with addiction. So now to get us started, what is peer support? Well, according to the United States Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, peer support encompasses a range of activities and interactions between people who share similar experiences of being diagnosed with mental health conditions, substance use disorders, or both. A peer support worker is someone with the lived experience of recovery from a mental health condition, substance use disorder, or both. They provide support to others experiencing similar challenges. They provide non-clinical, strength-based support and are, quote, experientially credentialed, end quote, by their own recovery journey. By sharing their own lived experience and practical guidance, peer support workers help people to develop their own goals, create strategies for self-empowerment, and take concrete steps towards building fulfilling, self-determined lives for themselves. So... With that, it's time to learn about peer support. Let's get started speaking to Seal about her work providing peer support to patients with substance use disorders. And with that, I would like to welcome my colleague Seal to the podcast. Seal, let's start with you telling us who you are and what you do.
1: Hi. um, Well, my name is Seal, and currently I work uh, in an addiction medicine clinic. Uh, you're one of the doctors Dr. <laughs> a little
0: disclosure um, there thank you
1: um i i sit in on appointments i um i follow up with patients phone calls i spend time with them kind of a coming alongside um because i myself have my own very long past in addiction drugs and alcohol Um, You know, and along with that, toxic relationships, you know, um, eating disorders, uh, quite a history there. And I've been working in recovery before I came here for about three years in Santa Barbara as at a residential dual diagnosis. They also um, did uh, detox. And um, simultaneously, I was uh, like house manager at a um, sober living slash intensive outpatient uh, program, which he backed off of off of that program. So here I stand today, working in my community. Uh, I came back here, and I'm very much in the midst of my. Um, everyone I know, all my experiences are here, um, from my recovery center to the police station. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm doing today.
0: So yeah, so um, you know, you and I have been working together for gosh six eight months now. Uh, I I think of how we work together is is as a pair. You know, I I focus on the medicine. And doing peer support, I feel like you really spend kind of a lot more time trying to walk the patient through their experiences, what they're feeling, what's what's the next step. So, you know, one thing that I that I feel like. I want to get from this episode is is a chance to really understand how you see your work. I know how I see your work, but I want to understand how you see your work and how you see our complementary roles fitting together and helping patients. So I put together a couple of questions to kind of get us started in the conversation here. So the first thing is, I feel like you and I make the most progress with our patients when our patients trust us. And I feel like with substance use, a lot of patients have skepticism about their providers. They've been treated badly before. Trust is just essential. So how do you go about building trust with your patients who are suffering from problems with addiction and substance use?
1: Um, I think first off sharing that I've, uh, I, I also have suffered from um, addiction uh really really helps because uh, i know it's not a typical doctor's appointment when we're together with a patient they come in and i know for the most part they feel very welcomed they feel accepted um and that is the both of us working together i also i like to keep um they can access me i have a patient burner line so they feel hey there's someone i can call um it it keeps it organic and a lot of your typical doctor's visit doesn't really include that service, so to speak. Um, But with the nature of addiction, I think it's really critical for me to come alongside as someone who understands, hopefully with some humor. Um, And Especially with the fentanyl crisis these days, I think, um, and the emphasis on harm reduction that that medicine can pay, can play a very very key role in recovery these days. Um, but recovery is also um, attending meetings, finding outside support. Um, you know, it's a it's a holistic approach of mind, body, spirit. Um, so I think it's really important for me to realize that I'm developing a relationship. It's gonna look different with each person. Some it's gonna come naturally, some not so naturally. Um, so I look at it as a process of relationship development, and in there, trust does start to come into play. Um I think that that's true in any relationship and it's also very, very key for connection and especially those suffering addiction, the tendency is to isolate. Mm, Well Um, said. So, yeah.
0: So you you already kind of, brought me into my next question. So, how do you go about introducing yourself? I mean, I know when we're in clinic together, sometimes I just kind of introduce you cuz I'm I've gotten started and you're coming in cuz you've been attending to another patient. When let's say you're making the first contact with the patient, when do you bring up your own history with addiction and your recovery in your introduction? Is it in the first minute? Do you how do you how do you work through that?
1: Um, I bring it up pretty quickly because I think that that offers um, it offers the patient a chance to go. Oh wow, there's someone in this room that has been in my very same shoes um, to give them a feeling of of acceptance. Um, I know, I know. When I go to a doctor's visit, I can feel kind of intimidated, or I don't know what to expect. Or as you said, a lot of times these people have been treated poorly in the past. There has been a lot of stigmatism. There stigmatism today, unfortunately, not like it used to be. It will always be there to a certain extent. So I think in my transparency, it also, it welcomes them to be transparent also. Um, And I don't try, I try and keep it very organic and kind of average average Jane I should say which which I am I'm really just your average Jane who's 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 fought a long and hard battle um but that doesn't rule my life anymore which is amazing I, I it's hard for me to believe sometimes it's also taken a lot of work on every level. Um, and every day it's work you're never at a plateau you just um it's continual and it's maintenance and um I love to see when people go oh wow oh you too and um I just think it's really important as I said again to um my transparency to be an example and and keep it okay for them to also be transparent
0: very nice yeah I I actually um can't remember if we've ever talked about this but I, I'm one of the few men that develops an eating disorder. I had uh, uh, anorexia and bulimia in college and through most of my medical training. And when I have patients in the emergency department with an eating disorder, I just first thing in the walk in the room, like, look, I I had what you had and you can just feel the tension in the room come down. So yeah, I I agree with you kind of level setting early on, just to make people feel comfortable is, is fantastic. Um, Let let me, let me ask something a little bit different here. So, you know, you and I are uh, in the clinic uh, a half day each week right now. And again, I, I view, our work together as a pair. You know, I'm focusing on the medicine. You're providing the peer support. But I only know what you do when we're in clinic together. I'll see you step out and take patient calls. Um, You know, just this week, one of my patients came in, was in tears, and you came in to kind of soothe and talk her through her negative emotions. Tell me what your workflow is actually like each week. How much time are you spending in the clinic versus uh, out of clinic, what's what's it like actually providing peer support
1: it's um it's very unpredictable um there's times and it's funny when a couple people are going through a hard time it's interesting it seems like a lot of the people are going through a hard time um there's a lot of phone calls sometimes it's first thing in the morning um sometimes mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a lot of times there can be a state of crisis, quote unquote. And I say that because a lot of times with addiction, um, they're already in a bit of an emotional state of crisis. So I, I'm i getting better at kind of just listening it through. Um, weighing my response. If you don't know what to say, the best thing to do is simply to listen. Um, but I can give you examples of days. I know I there's this one gal, um, and I actually know her from the street clinic, and I'm trying to touch base with her, and I made one date with her, and she canceled. This is not uncommon at all, and she was also, along with the other gal that you and I know, I had invited to take her to um, to a meeting I go to every Monday night. She counseled out on that. So I do have some office work here. Uh, right before I came in, I was making a referral for a neurologist for a client that has epilepsy, but has had his license still revoked for three years and I really only bring this up and he hasn't had a seizure is a lot of it is advocating um but at some point this day I'm going to see if I can touch base with with this gal because this is the day that she's most likely to, to be around it's keeping in mind um I I had a phone call last night and this morning from a client who really just wants an ear about nothing in particular is he's just reaching out um as far it I also do jail visits I'm actually very much looking forward to there's a gentleman I'm gonna go see him Friday and he even asked about Santa Barbara and I got very excited about that because I'm very familiar with that. I'm going to see him on um, Friday at the jail. And I think we have an absolute release date. Um, And I'm going to figure out, I most likely will probably take a train down with him to deliver him safely. Um, And he's very wise. He's older. I can tell he's tired. He does want it. And he was very wise in saying, but I know my tendencies so I want to give him safe passage, so uh, I will be calling uh, the place where he's going to talk to the director there who I've been keeping in touch with. Um, I also need to touch base with a gal um, to set up her next appointment. She's terminally late, so we have to figure out something for her next injection. Her mother wants to talk to me. Um, I've been in communication last night, this morning with um, this gal's mother. And um, the other doc here, Dr. Close, uh, is very familiar with this gal's partner, who uh, he's actually doing very well right now. So I've been keeping updated on the other end with the other gal who's kind of far away right now, which is good. So, it's really extremely individual. I'm also going to touch base. Sometimes it's calling or texting and not getting a response. It's been a couple patients this week. Saw once, couldn't reach them again. It was a couple. One that you and I talked about yesterday. Um, And in that too comes. you know, how much is too much? Because you really shouldn't hound someone. And then there's the people which I, I love because then I don't, like, stress so much on them that they regularly reach out. Um, I, community, I I communicated with our gentleman last night. We were doing text the one you'd had a telemed with. Um, after I got off the phone here, I have some office logistics to tend to. Um, it's,
0: I, I mean, almost what I'm hearing is it's basically you getting to know the patient being ready for them when they're ready and kind of setting steps for them when they're not ready. So that when they are ready, kind of their path to getting into treatment is, is, is laid out for them. Does that sound about right?
1: yeah because sometimes they're simply not ready and if you if you try and push someone into say a program or or certain circumstances before they're ready and you know that they're not ready then you're basically not setting them up for success Mm because if someone's not ready they're not ready right and so we can't hound persist and i know too it can be because you really want people to be okay to stay alive to have a life some of our patients we're just trying to keep alive
0: well said that's
1: the simple truth and um it's it's very important to not put too much on them um if they're not ready and sometimes you're you're very simply a presence they know you're there if you reach out and they don't respond okay Maybe I'll try again in a couple more days. I do keep a list um, of, I haven't been perfect with it, but who I talk to, you know, and when. Um, and as I said, people, everyone's different. It's it's very organic. Um, I also, I think definitely the huge advantage is being in my own addictions and it's rock, rock, rock bottom and knowing all the feelings, attitudes. I'm very familiar with patterns of behavior. It's, it's funny. I see behavior. I also, um, I know patterns. And I think a lot of that came from living in a house as house mom and seeing the same patients nights that I worked. And I remember the first time I had a feeling someone was going to relapse and I didn't want to voice it to the clinical director and she did and cuz it was nothing obvious and so next time I voiced it and it did happen. So it's noticing behaviors and attitudes which I am all too familiar with in myself and also or or and that I witness in my work. Um and then with that being said, you need to expect a certain amount, almost expect a certain amount of manipulation. Um, evasiveness there can be a good amount of dishonesty, uh, secret use and I don't say that as a judgment you, you just sometimes it's really important just to know what you're dealing with and that's where you sometimes you have to carefully weigh um and as you and I have talked about being overly accommodating is also very important just as in recovery, them to have accountability that's empowering to them to sometimes it is the biggest deal for them just to make this appointment and that's awesome and that should definitely be acknowledged but um, but there's going to be a fair amount of no shows and late late and that just comes with the the territory and um, I think but it's also important decision case by case what behaviors are accommodated and what you need to call them into accountability for if that makes sense yep um because that's not that's not coming down on them and it should be done in a very gentle manner it is it is it is asking them to step up in their recovery and also um it's how things work in this world that we're in whether we agree with it or not i mean i don't like the tone of our world sometimes but if if we want to live and exist in this culture then there's a certain amount of accountability that that maybe needs to be practiced um because of practice comes the learning and then the being able to to do it and then it's like you start at one point as practice until it becomes habit you know and that is a process and um so don't get me wrong i'm not expecting or asking someone to immediately step up in accountability but to start to kind of lean into that as a practice because that's going to empower them that's only going to help them um like just going to a zoom meeting starting with some sort of recovery zoom meeting with therapy um taking those steps and then i'll say oh hey i'm gonna check back with you tomorrow and see how the meeting went on um encouraging people to find their support and to find their plan basically yeah and it does it does happen it's not easy i'm i'm at my heart of hearts I'm an introvert, but I do, you know, I will have, I'm at about in almost three years and about 10 months, but I I go to meetings, I go to therapy, I do reach out. I have a couple individuals in my life. I know I can talk to about just about anything. And that's just become a part of my life today because I'm all too aware of my tendencies.
0: And, I was going to um, s- go ahead. Sorry. no. No, no, no. I was going to say it. You kind of hinted at it. And this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about. How does providing peer support to our substance use patients help you in your recovery?
1: My gosh, it helps me tremendously because I can look at someone when they first come in and I can remember and, and very much recognize the shame, the pain, the desperation, um, not having a will to live, thinking nothing's ever gonna get better, um, loss of house, job, family, possessions. I mean basically everything. And um I recognize that and the further along I get, the further away I I am from that. And as I've told you before, it's so like I Some people say they don't have another drug or drink in them. I don't have another recovery in me. I've I've heard that a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not just from you. Go ahead.
1: Even on some of my worst days, I'm having a really hard time. As I said, I kind of look at taking in a substance as that. A substance or alcohol to me is, as I said, it's this strange abstraction. It's part of my world, but it's not part of me. However, um, it's also important in my recovery and encouraging others, never be super confident. Oh, I got this. I'm good. And that's why, like, this fellow I was talking to in the jail, when he says, I know my tendencies, that is so incredibly important to recognize um, that, you know, there's a healthy fear, you know. And today, I... My grandson called me just to chat and say hi and saw my daughter for a minute yesterday who's doing great and the family relationships and I can get up and get in my car that's registered and insured and, you know, I can pay my rent. And I had none of those, and I'm going to call them freedoms. When I was in my addiction, I had absolutely nothing. You know, I, I ended up rock bottom on the streets for about two and a half years after about 30 years of um, not being okay, you know, and that's how I look at someone in um, they're really not okay, you know, and to come in with that understanding of, um, you know, a completely broken mind, body, spirit. And, um, but there is recovery, you know, and, and,
0: you know, you know, one I, thing, one thing I think that you and I have talked quite a bit about and is just kind of each person has kind of their own road to recovery and, um, you know, each one of our patients has a different experience just as you've had a different experience. Yeah. Talk to me about how you kind of understand or how you get to know a person and then understand kind of what direction their recovery might go in. Like, how do you recommend this meeting for this person or gosh, this program might be a good fit for this person? Well,
1: I think you shouldn't instantly jump to it. Um, I think, I think when I'm getting to know someone, they've just come to a doctor's appointment And it was probably a little intimidating. It was scary. Maybe just our family wanted to come. Who knows? But they showed up. Um, I try and follow up with, uh, not necessarily in the office, but just keeping it kind of light, just keeping, you know, kind of more being open to the person. Um, Some people will outright say, I need inpatient, outpatient. We have our people who are highly active in... Program whether it be inpatient, outpatient, going to meetings, and um, time and time again, those are most likely the people that are going to succeed. How do you figure it out? Um, it depends on the person. It depends. Well, for example, maybe you don't want to go to the Sun Street in Salinas because it's right near Chinatown and they had a fentanyl problem. Whereas an alcoholic says, "Oh, I need inpatient." that would work fine for me. Um, sometimes it can take a very long time to, um, you and I are very familiar with who I'm talking about. And I'm gonna see her Thursday to do step work, which I just love. Um, she uh, she took months and months, but I, we were both uh, persistent, presence in her life Um, it's kind of whatever that looks like Um, I have this presence in this other gal's life you know an abstract presence and that I mostly talk to her mother but but there's still a connection there you know Um, it, it it I it's it's a hard, I mean, it's not a hard determination, but you just kind of have to weigh someone's circumstances and then we have our fair amount. we should most definitely be be in at least outpatient, perhaps inpatient, and they don't want to. and they've got a lot of time on their hands. and that's not a great place to be,
0: yeah, well um, said.
1: So sometimes that looks like that's someone else I need to touch base with. Um she did cancel out on the meeting, but I'm I'm forming it, uh, I'm starting to form a bond with her and we live close by, is why don't we go out and take a walk? Um sometimes this is getting out. Because I'm gonna have to say getting out and doing something out there, but well, I'm not especially if someone's in the car with me and I'm driving, people will open up more. Because it's not this expected. Oh, we're sitting across from each other. Okay, tell me all about it, kind of deal. It it's it's more organic. It's more fluid. Um. So this person, and she doesn't want to do a program. She's young. Mom's driving her nuts. She doesn't have a lot to do, and uh, maybe just giving her some routine and ritual in her life. Maybe a set time, like. Okay, twice a week, we're gonna go take a walk here. Also routine, I think is super important. If they're not engaged, exercise, of course, is super key. Um, I, I, I'm I guilty of not, that's one place I'm falling off right now, but I remember when I was, uh, when I have gone through recovery in Santa Barbara and that was so key, I got out, and COVID hit, and I was at, I was at Millie's, and the Sober Living, and every single morning, I would hike up to the Rose Gardens, because they were beautiful, and it was a great hike, and it was such a weird time, and it was a good hike, and most of it was uphill, and then I'd come back, and that was so key, and I didn't have a car in Santa Barbara, it was so walkable, and i would walk miles, and that really helped me, help depression anxiety um it helped me to think and pray and breathe um
0: let's uh so- let's let, let's unpack one thing that you said in there that I really liked so you know medical care has traditionally been kind of office based or hospital based um you know you go see the doctor rather than the doctor coming to you in in your work in peer support you're kind of mobile. Talk about how, you know, you're able to both do things kind of in a traditional medical setting and then what else you're doing to really support patients wherever they are.
1: Well, so I so, and a lot of times people cancel out on me and that's also just the nature people go, Oh yeah, yeah, let's do this. Um, what, well, what I'm hoping to do, um, more and more and kind of, yeah, um, taking one person here and one person there and maybe starting to form a little bit of a group um, like going on a little bit of a nature quest with this one gal, both of us are creative. It's, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it's fall. It's cool. You can collect, you know, uh, wood and, and pine cones and shells and we can go to the ocean and the, and the woods that's spirit filling. It, it, it's exercise, it's fresh air. Um, it's, a, it's a casual and enjoyable way to get to know someone. Um, I've also, this this one gal, she's older, I'll just, I'll, I'll deliver ice cream to her because I know it's a treat. I'll take her to go get her hair and nails done because that's a form of self-care for her and, and it makes her feel good. I've also taken her to doctor's appointments, Um, so all her doctors were on the same page, like one, um, she has a pulmonologist, a primary, and then she sees us, and it's kind of, and and advocating for people. Um, I also, I have a wonderful resource, I'd like to start using more and more, and they're very um, community-minded, they're, They're huge on therapy. Uh, They do therapy there. I go to therapy there. It helps. (laughs) Um, They also help case manage people that have just gotten out of uh, um, convicted felons, people who don't have their medical who have like nothing, who really need a leg up and some support. And there's one gentleman there and that's primarily what he manages. So... Connecting to the right resources. Um, uh, sometimes, well, I, I spend a fair amount of time trying to figure out insurance.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's always a always a struggle.
1: All the super sexy office details. There's right. also <laughs> a lot. There's logistics. And I said, a referral today. Later on, I need to talk to an agency. I'm going to call another one to ask about the possibility of them seeing someone who I know isn't super willing and might not show but they're cool with that. I'm going to make an appointment anyway. Um, I have, um, also working with, um, keeping, you know, keeping helping along, you know, cause there's, there's some grant funding in here and, Helping with those logistics. Sometimes it's just wearing a lot of different hats. Um, I would love. It would be awesome if I could start. Like, it'd be cool to like. Oh well, this morning, so and so is going to come to the office, and we're going to do contingency management, and then, and then, I'm I'm going to go on a cool nature walk with this gal and that gal, and 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 in that very therapeutic, and then hopefully they'll connect and find support in each other because we ultimately of course we could be there as support but ultimately ideally um they need to seek reach and find their a network we're part of that ne- network and i know there's times when we've been people's it and that's okay in some circumstances people don't have the Physical, emotional wherewithal, and uh, we're familiar with. So we have a couple of those people, and that's okay. But they're they're finding their own bigger world, and it's still very, very much a presence. So now, well, sense,
0: it, yeah, I was just thinking about you know it. You know, I've I've often joked that addiction is a team sport. Meaning, you know, if you don't really have a support network, it's very hard to be successful. And, you know, you and I work with a lot of families. Um, talk to me about how you work with families um, and and even more specifically for our younger patients, how you connect and support parents.
1: Well, I can tell you, I just this last weekend, he wasn't a younger patient. But he's a father. And the dad literally called me up and go, so, what do I do? I mean, just what do I do? And we had a couple of good long conversations, and um, it felt really good afterwards because I felt I responded in the right way, and I also I am very quick to point out and say, listen. This is what I have to offer. This is who I am. I have an experience myself as an addict, as an alcoholic, decades. I also have experience in recovery. What I can offer you is even like in in meetings, we're there to offer our experience, strength, and hope. Um, and as for the young patients, um. We don't have very many. I have gotten uh working working with young people and their parents is is a lot, and I'll tell you why, because you have the parent on one side who usually is worried sick, um, can be either completely um completely hovering, and can barely let them out of their sight, or or they're angry, or they want them to go to a program, or they just caught them using last night, and then you have the patient, and say they're 17, so technically they have to have their parent with them, um, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. It's almost like Quite frankly, if if I'm talking to the parent, I don't feel that the patient is going to be so inclined to want to talk to me. I almost feel like that takes two people. One person take the parent, one person take the patient. And um, and of course it's family dynamics, it can be kind of kind of sticky. Yeah. One person's gonna say this, one person's gonna say that. And um, I know some stuff was coming up about juvenile Hall patients, and I kind of instantly went whoa this is its own animal it most definitely is um uh
0: yeah I think ju- justice involved patients are their own unique uh population within the world of substance use that's that's a that's a whole other can of worms no
1: it it really is. Whenever I know that there's, oh, that the one that I saw the other day, she, even though she's 21, her mom, um, her mom's still coming, kind of insisting on coming in with her. However, when I saw her through the day, she had the opportunity to not have her parent with her. Now, if they're under 18, of course, really, they have to, but Parents also need to realize it's very important if they're over 18, um, they need to be seen. Or sometimes parents will come in with 30-year-olds, but for them, they need to allow them to be able to be transparent. And even if you're pretty transparent with your parent, I can pretty much guarantee you um, you're not going to be as transparent as you would be if they weren't there. Um, so it's it's really sticky. I know that my life in addiction, how it affected my mother and my daughter, and unfortunately even edged on to my grandchildren. Um, it's another reason I do what I do. Maybe it's a form of living amends. Um, plus, it's one thing I, I know. better for worse, you know, because of, and in spite of my experience, it's what I know.
0: So as you look back on both your experiences living with addiction and then in the addiction kind of treatment world and, and, and clinically taking care of patients, as you look back, what, what, what surprises you most about addiction?
1: What surprises me? Oh, that's a really good
0: question.
1: Um, That's a really, br- like, just addiction itself. It doesn't, but it also does surprise me. Well, I don't know what's a surprise. It's what surprises me about addiction. It does surprise me. I'll say a couple different things about addiction as that people, myself being one and so many others that I've witnessed, that addiction, people that maybe people thought were the most hopeless, down and out, insane, crazy, whatever you want to call it, recover and go on to have a productive, joy-filled life. Um,
0: I mean, I mean, you and I have talked about it. The transformations we see are sometimes just incredible. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more yeah. that I think it's something that when people judge people with addiction or enact stigma against patients with addiction, they, they never see that transition from rock bottom to working and again with family. I couldn't agree with you more. Well,
1: that's the thing, even though... I don't think that that will ever not surprise me, and I want to keep that perspective because it it still blows me out of the water, you know. I um, it also well, and two on the on the flip side, it's not so much it does kind of sometimes surprise not surprise me, but how addiction can absolutely steal someone's life. I'm not just talking in depth. But it's, it's absolutely devastating and it is unfair. Um, Cause I know, you know, maybe the hand I dealt and who I was and as a human, I kind of did get, I got a raw hand. And there's other people who can be born into the most devastating of circumstances and, and be fine. So but I think a combination of things for me. I still wonder, what if I never, ever would have? But then, not that I want that. I remember I said that one time to my mom a long time ago. She goes, yeah, but would you trade all your life experiences? I go, no, because then I wouldn't be who I am today. Not that I'm awesome and amazing, but I wouldn't trade the... I've had the opportunity to see to see deep and far. Um, it's hard to explain, you know, um, I have a higher capacity for joy and for gratitude because I've been on the absolute uh, other end, you know, no will to live, nothing. you know, I've been in jail, I've been detoxed. I've been suicide locked up for suicide watch. I mean it started when I was sixteen, you know, not you know, um, because I did not feel okay. I did not feel right. And uh so it all boils down to any addict or alcoholic. They can't stand how they're feeling, they want to feel something different, they need to alter how they're feeling. Um and
0: I yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's just it's um, it's been so uh, kind of fulfilling for me as a physician to be able to participate in the uh, recovery process. Um, I mean, I, I've been chatting with with a lot of my colleagues. You know, as a physician, I, I thought, you know, I, I was signing up to to profoundly change lives. And unfortunately, right now in American medicine, we do a lot more of kind of just managing chronic illness than really making transformative changes. And addiction medicine for me has just been incredible because, again, to your point, I mean, people can end up in horribly dark places and and yet end up kind of learning m- developing, growing, recovering, and, and, and really making incredible progress. I remember in the spring, we were doing an event uh, teaching Narcan, and, and there was a woman who was sharing her lived experience, and she introduced herself. You know, she said, hi, I'm, and this was not her name, but hi, I'm Mary, and I'm an addict, and I'm proud of that. And she talked about how she's emerged as a person stronger after her addiction than she ever thought she could have been before. I'm curious if that resonates with you.
1: Absolutely, um, because I think, you know, and I did, I worked the steps. I sponsor. Um, I showed up to me. I I learned how to show up when I didn't feel like it, when I didn't want to. That also works into the other aspect of life. Well, just because I feel a certain way doesn't mean that I have to put a substance or, or take a drink. I think as a general rule, if someone is, is seriously working some sort of program and continues that you're going to find out you know for those people there's a higher level of integrity it's really important for me to do the right thing um sometimes i can seem kind of ponderous at times but i don't want to do the wrong thing and if i don't know what to do i'm also good at (laughs) it's also giving me a lot of courage though because I face tremendous fear, like monumental, like in terror. And it's like, but you got to do something. You can't just lie down and quit. You can't freeze up. You can't go back. And so I make the choice to proceed to um, have integrity. You know, um, I still say I kind of have a heavy spirit. Maybe I always will. Like, I think that's one thing in my life, I personally, and so I try, and, and it's funny, I realize this is what I try and do with others, because I need lift in my spirit, or even say I'm depressed, I just, that's kind of, I mean, I just kind of have a heavy spirit, like, yeah, I've had so much happen, but, um, treats, oh, hey, do you want a milkshake, and, um, get some fresh sunshine and and stupid humor, like just something dumb, but that's funny. Just keeping it light, little uplift. And it's funny. I try and do those very same things with people. I guess I feel, um, I want, you know, and that again, and people respond very well to that, you know? Um,
0: Absolutely. So, so we're getting a little tight on time towards the end of the time we set aside for this. Um, I very much appreciate you sharing your experiences, the work you do, how you relate to patients. Anything else that you wanted to share about your work providing peer support to patients with substance use? I really see, you know, this actually
1: kind of excites me, is um As peer support, helping people to um, to gather together in support of each other. As I said, you know, I have um, with as <laughs> how our patients can balk, not show up, cancel, but getting together um, more of a crew, you know, I love. And don't get me wrong, because I'm a total misfit, but I love seeing a group of my call misfits, all these people that you never expect to see together, but they have this amazing bond. And I think my kind of dream, what I see, because I know in recovery this is needed, in our community, and our world, is a sense of unity, and brotherhood, and sisterhood, and we're all in this together. I mean, that's what gives me tingles, is like, you know... And I want to kind of be aggressive on that front and get together these individual meetings to start to form. Maybe there's three of us, and then four of us, and then other people have great ideas. Um, that's like, that's kind of a dream, you know? Um, and and then it goes beyond recovery. That's just like, Hey, you know all of us as human beings are in this world together you know um i think covid caused a lot of separation and isolation our technology can cause that you know i was checking out books yesterday at the library with a scanner and not a person and you know i'm kind of old school though i i miss i miss that um but yeah connection community um, sisterhood and brotherhood. I think that's you know, uh, that's peer support. You know, helping, getting support for others to reach out to support others. Kind of a you know a cycle, a wheel. You know, just a cog in that wheel. Hopefully, you know, I can if I'm the the oil to help you know, grease that wheel, that'd
0: be awesome. Well said. All right, Seal. I think we're out of time, but I got to say once again, thank you so much. I appreciate the work you do for our patients, the connections that you make, and thank you for joining me to, to share your work uh talking about peer support today.
1: Well, no, thank you, Dr. Oberyn. Thank you guys for, you know, um, you know, having me in and giving me this chance and this opportunity. And as we've all found, it's, it can be very challenging, but at the end of the day, when someone's doing well, or I make a good connection, it's just like, it's, it's like everything is all worth it. It's always all worth it at the end of the day, even with the challenges.
0: Well said. <laughs> all right. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. All right, a few last items before we finish up this episode. Peer support is a developing field. We talked about providing peer support, in general, to patients with substance use and how it helps them. However, it's important to know that there's an actual certification that can be obtained to become a certified peer support specialist. And if you look for peer support jobs online, they are usually listed as available for those who are certified peer support specialists. Now you might be wondering, how does a person become a peer support specialist for patients with substance use? It turns out that each state has slightly different requirements on what training is required to be a certified peer support specialist. In general, it involves being in recovery or having lived experience with addiction and going through a training program. I work in California. And according to the California Mental Health Services Authority, here are the requirements to be a certified peer support specialist in California for Medi-Cal. And a quick aside for those outside of California, Medi-Cal is California's Medicaid program. So here are those requirements. Be at least 18 years of age, possess a high school diploma or equivalent degree, Be self-identified as having experience with the process of recovery from a mental illness or substance use disorder, either as a consumer of these services or as the parent, caregiver, or family member of a consumer. Be willing to share their experience. Have a strong dedication to recovery. Agree in writing to adhere to the code of ethics. Successfully complete the 80 hour training requirements for a peer support specialist, through an approved training entity, and pass the certification examination. So, if you are interested in doing peer support or getting someone trained to do peer support, I would encourage you to research the requirements in your state. I'm actually not sure how this is regulated outside of the United States. And, we've been talking about peer support and peer support specialists for patients with substance use, but peer support is growing to help patients with other conditions. Peer support is available and effective for substance use, mental health conditions, certain medical conditions, and disabilities. There is so much on this topic of peer support we could keep going on for hours. So with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening and thank you for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.